picture of baby snow up on the uh, screen. I know it's uh, in the archives there somewhere. Welcome, baby snow eating Yoder. All right. And uh, one of you, uh, somebody have Sammy on speed dial? So, somebody have Sammy on speed dial? Anybody? Uh, somebody call him real quick. Serious. Somebody pick up their phone and call Sam. And we're going uh, to bless him. Not only do they have a new baby, not only did they just move back from Kansas City, not only did they sell a house, buy a house, get the house ready, uh, Sammy starts practice tomorrow. Okay? So if somebody has him, he's working on it. Okay? Somebody else maybe just record it for him. All right? In the name of Jesus, we bless you, Sam. Okay, is everybody ready for that? All right. In the name of Jesus, we bless you, Sam. All right, thank you. Those things move things in the spirit. We have to remember to do that real often. You can move things in the heavens when you do that. Well, good morning. Uh, (laughs) Adam is in uh, Montana on his way to Oregon to a songwriter's deal. Yeah, you ready? In the name of Jesus, bless you, Sam. (laughs) Hey, thank you, Sam. Oh, yeah, that was a little selfish, wasn't it? (laughs) Now, we get it now. (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) I hope it's been a good week for you. Andrew's gone, too. He's he's, uh, performing over the whole weekend the complete works of William Shakespeare abridged. And it was really funny if you didn't see it last week. And he's doing that at Carson Newman this weekend. And so Adam asked me if I would uh, mind to speak this morning, and I'm happy to do that. I don't actually get to do this very much anymore. And uh, uh, I used to think it was like, you know, when you did it every day for 20 years, actually, you know, several times a week for 20 years, it it becomes kind of knee-jerk to you. And uh, when you don't do it very often, it actually, it was, uh, I got to tell you, I struggled a little bit this week, you guys. I really did. I struggled a little bit in preparing for what the Lord has uh, been telling me. I've had two or three messages I've told Adam, and uh, they just, uh, I just had too much that I wanted to say. But I want to share exactly what he wants me to share. Now, most of you in the room know me, and a whole lot of you have been to my house. And a lot of you have blessed me liberally, and I've blessed a few of you. We've uh, shared some life together, lots of meals together, uh, sweated together, uh, washed up, washed off mud and grease and oil together and cut wood together. And a lot of us have have, have really shared some life, the the whole gamut there. On the other hand, I also know that there's a few in the room that I've never met, have no idea why you'd be here. (laughs) Just kidding about that. But we all ended up in the building together this morning, didn't we? And I happen to believe, this is not fatalistic, I think this is providential, that we get to share just a few minutes together. Um, I have a confession to make that to those who know me well. And this is probably a disclaimer for those of you who do not know me well, okay? I am absolutely a one-trick pony. 
One trick is all I can do. I've just got one message, and I preach that message every time I get up in some shape, form, or fashion, okay? God has put me to one thing, this one thing I do, like I think Paul put it, one message, one thing on my mind, and I want to be true to the one thing, and I hope that you'll allow me to be true to that. I do have a, a few words of introduction before I get into the message. And if the, if the introduction is boring you, just go ahead and turn over to Matthew 3 because that's where we're going to spend our time. And uh, I want to say this. We do not, I'm, I'm speaking collectively now, okay? We do not come to Christ by our own reason or by intuition, okay? In the sixth chapter of John, Jesus is quoted as saying, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, okay? So we didn't get here on our own. We were drawn by the Father. And I want to say he draws both the rationalist and he draws the mystic. <laughs> he, we don't make this choice ourselves. When we choose to lean on, when we choose to not lean on our own understanding, he chooses to draw us to him. So it's not about understanding and it's not about subjective feelings. It's about his draw on our life. When we receive Christ by faith, it's really true. We're transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We become the son of God and and, and drawing close to Christ. And I think this is probably real important. It's not a question of just having the right information. And neither is it a question of just having the right experience. Okay? It's not getting to know more about God. It really is about getting to know Him personally. The biggest change that ever happened in my spiritual life is when I genuinely came to realize that God is a Father. And fatherhood is awesome. It's really awesome. We have a lot of artist type in the room this morning. All the artist type go woohoo. No, just kidding. <laughs> we have a lot of artist types in the group. And likewise, I think sometimes they get overlooked. We have, we have quite a number of academics in the room too. I want to say that the Holy Spirit does not just dwell on the right side of the brain (laughs) and the word of God does not just dwell on the left side of the brain. Do you have that? Okay. There's one brain and one mind and hallelujah, there's only one God. We need to be right. That's true. But we also need to be real. And I usually put it this way. We need wisdom and power. We need theology and tears, okay? It all goes together, and it leads me toward what I want to emphasize. And here's the one-trick pony thing that I want to re-emphasize and re-emphasize to our hearts this morning. I really like the way Moses stated it in Deuteronomy 4. Everybody perk your ears up. This is important. Only be careful. Watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from you. 
for as long as you live, teach them to your children and to their children after them. The Father loves us enough that He wants this to be a genuine, bona fide, multi-generational faith. I was having a conversation with a prognosticator this morning. Actually, it was a waitress. <laughs> and, uh, of course, you know, the, you know, the surfacey conversations you get, you know, when they're pouring your coffee. And, and uh, she said something about times being tough in America. And, uh, and I said, I actually know one of the reasons that happened. You know, it has very little to do with the economy. It has to do with the fact that we Americans, and by the way, I am a patriot. Any other patriots in the room? Okay, I'm, I'm a bona fide patriot. But one thing we've really messed up in America is we have lauded the pioneer spirit so much. The beat our chest, I pulled myself up by the bootstraps, I did it on my own, that every generation since the foundation of America has, t- has basically tried to reinvent the wheel. And that's not the way God wants it. God wants the father's ceiling to be the children's floor and their ceiling or their ceiling to be their children's floor. We really do need to build upon each other. And so God really does establish a multi-generational plan, get this, for every family in the room. He has a multi-generational plan. So we're going to jump into the Word of God this morning and see where that might take us. Everybody already found their way over to Matthew chapter 3. We're going to grab this in context. So at the end of chapter 2, <laughs> this is actually kind of funny because the end of chapter 2, um, Joseph is unloading the U-Haul from his trip back from Egypt. Okay, he'd been there for a couple of years with Jesus and they came back and they decided to land in Nazareth for some reasons that the scripture outlined. And so that, that, that journey back is just completed. Boom, we jump into John, okay? <laughs> this, this really is in its own context, okay? If you have your Bibles, we're going to read this together. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now in those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. (laughs) Doesn't sound like that stuck in as a disclaimer. Like, this guy's not right. Okay, let's go on. (laughs) Then Jerusalem was going... Did you get that? Jerusalem. Didn't say a few of the people. Jerusalem was going out to him and all Judea and all the district around Jordan. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Let's ask Jesus' help here. Jesus, help us. We want to understand 
what it means, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and to bear fruit in keeping with our repentance. All right, here we are, Matthew 3. John is a preaching. <laughs> and that's really not that hard to imagine, is it? It's really not too hard to imagine John the Baptist preaching. He was filled with the Holy Spirit while he was still in utero. Is that an unusual occasion? It's a little different, but I don't think it's out of the realm of where we need to go. Okay. Pregnant ladies, consider that. His filling did not make him more socially normal. Neither did his filling give him a seat at the table uh, or the, even the regional table at the synagogues in the area. What his filling did was it caused him to abandon all the religious norms and possibly, well, obviously some of the social norms in order to get out what God had put in him. Apparently, fully aware of his identity, destiny, and calling, fully aware of that, he was compelled to articulate the truth that God had instilled in him. Now, do you think that John the Baptist remembered his Holy Spirit experience in utero? I doubt it. He was human and cognitive thought doesn't start yet, does it? It doesn't start in the uterus, cognitive thought. So how in the world did he know that he was filled with the Holy Spirit? Okay, let your mind reflect back to what I just shared from Deuteronomy. Mom and dad told him over and over, okay? Aunt Mary and Uncle Joseph reminded him of it. Here's the point. We really need to live in community where we hold each other completely accountable, where we remind each other of the good and the right and the holy things that God is doing in, around, and among us. We must begin to live transparently where we can speak the life that God has put into each one of us back to each one of us. Everybody have a good week. Okay, mine sucked. <laughs> mine was a grind. I'm, I'm just going to tell you, I told you at the beginning of the message that I struggled a little bit. I was really holding back, you guys. It was, a, it was really a bad week. But when a brother in Christ reminded me of the goodness of God, guess what? It started to lift. It started to lift. John was reminded over and over and over of what God had put in him and what needed to come out. And guess what? It came out. The same thing will happen with our children and our children's children. Remind them of what's in there. Remind them of what's in there. Parents, are you complimentary of your kids? And I'm not talking about only doing the icing and only doing the, the fluffy stuff, but I'm telling you that's important too. My dad was raised on uh, Dale Carnegie <laughs> and all of these positive thinking salesman kinds of guys, okay? And we couldn't go anywhere. I have a, a sister and a brother that are 
all that are both older than me. We couldn't go anywhere. The dad, I can't remember. I remember him putting his arm on the back of the uh, car going, wow, you're the smartest, best looking kids in the world. He articulated that number one, because it was true. (laughs) No, no. My dad understood the importance of blessing the good things that are in a life. And that's what apparently John's parents and family did. They blessed the good thing that it put in him. So he began to articulate it and preach it and preach it. And his message is simple, isn't it? His message is apropos. His message is repeatable. Maybe ad nauseum, right? (laughs) Because it's, uh, well, actually, Jesus, you got your Bibles over to Matthew 3? Look over to Matthew 4. Jesus says the exact same thing. It's a repeatable message. And the message goes like this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, most of us have been exposed to this message most of our lives. And we probably have interpreted it most often like this. Stop sinning if you want to go to heaven. (laughs) Anybody else have that interpretation growing up? Yeah, just stop sinning if you want to go to heaven. And even though that's valid, we need to stop sinning, you guys. I really think John was a little more organic in his intent. I mean, certainly his wardrobe and his diet would say that he was fully practical, no frills, pretty granola, right? What I'm saying is that John, you know, when I wrote this, I didn't think there was any humor in it at all, but I kind of like it now. (laughs) Now think about him out there. He had no reason, no reason in the world to speak figuratively or mystically, did he? He didn't have any reason to do that. And so he, he speaks practically. He says, repent. Now, When I was growing up, I was told that that means marching in one direction and what? Making an about face, correct? That's repent, going 180. I think the more current understanding of that is that we have to change our thinking. We have to to change our mind. We have to think differently. And I was taught the 180 thing, okay? I think our pastor, Adam, let's bless him. Bless you, Adam, wherever you are. I think our pastor, Adam, really, really has this thing right. And I think it's because, I think it's because he was raised in a godly home that kept reminding him of what was in him. Okay. He says, all we have to do is turn even one degree toward God and he meets us there. Okay. How sweet is that? We don't have to get it right. We don't have to walk on the exact road. We turn toward God and he meets us there. So, John's message, repent, turn your thinking around. Or he could be saying, you're not quite thinking right. Or he could be saying, why don't you look at the issue differently? And that's what I want to do now. I just want to look at the issue a little bit differently. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is the rule and reign of God. Are we on the same page there? Let's get on the same page there or else anything else I'm going to say won't make much sense. The kingdom of heaven is the rule and reign of God. He was, 
We can do this one together. He was, he is, he is to come. Now, we understand the was from the biblical record and the historical account, and we've heard stories, and we understand that God was, correct? We know that he is because of the experience that we have right now. We know he is to come through faith and trust and hope. So let's look at the issue differently. The rule and reign of God is at hand. At hand. At hand. John could have used any language that he wanted to use here. You get that? He already has broken every religious and every social norm that there was. He could have used any language that he wanted to here, and he just says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So I think the at hand speaks primarily of three things, and we're gonna, that's going to be the heart of the message, okay? At hand speaks of distance or proximity. At hand speaks of availability. And at hand speaks of timing. So are you with me? Let's talk about the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let's talk about its proximity. The rule and the reign of God is as close to us as our hand. Now, the people that John was addressing were used to going to the temple. They were used to making homages, okay? And when they went out into the desert to see John... Okay, I looked at the map, and I actually did the measuring. They, these people traveled probably a minimum of 20 miles. Right? They were used to that. They were used to making trips to meet God. All right? But John says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He says, what are you thinking? Turn around. The rule and reign of God, you don't have to travel for it anymore. It's at the end of your arm. It's this close. Now, let me get real practical. When you write your rent or your mortgage check so that your family has a place to stay, you're demonstrating the kingdom of heaven. When you keep a promise to your children, you're demonstrating the rule and reign of God When you show up to work five minutes early and stay 15 minutes late at no charge to your employer, you're demonstrating the rule and the reign of God. When your hand grips onto your Bible or your hand grips onto your hammer, the kingdom of heaven is in both places. The rule and the reign of God is as close as your hand when you show gratitude, when you bite in to a buttery biscuit and go, Jesus, that's good, okay? I don't think that's taking the name of the Lord in vain. I think that's speaking a truth. Jesus, that's so good. You're demonstrating the rule and reign of God. If James was at all correct and he said every good and perfect gift comes from God the Father above, okay? If that's the truth, and it is, then that kind of gratitude demonstrates the rule and reign of God 
And when we demonstrate the rule and reign of God, we usher in what? The presence of God. So, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand speaks of proximity. Where is it? It's at the end of your arm. It's at the end of your arm. It also speaks of availability. This exchange, the exchange that we make with God, this transference of power, this moving from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of Jesus, okay? It is all a matter of choice. It's all a matter of choice. We know that God is willing that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance, correct? God wants everybody to change their mind. He wants everybody to change their mind. And any father, fathers, perk up your ears, any father worth his salt desires passionately that his children not only survive, but that they flourish in mind, in body, and in spirit. That's what fathers do. That's what Father God does. He wants us passionately for us to flourish in mind and body and spirit. God the Father makes available to every one of us the fullness, not part of the kingdom of heaven, the fullness of his kingdom. He doesn't hold back. When we make ourselves available to him, when we choose that, He, the infinite and almighty creator of the universe, comes to us. How close? Close as our hands. As close as our hands. Praise Him. The kingdom of God, I I, I do believe this came by revelation, what I'm about to say. The kingdom of God may not always be visible, but it is always palpable. The kingdom of God may not always be visible, but it's always palpable. Jenna, you were there. I was at a table across from Jenna over at the university Thursday, struggling. I was making notes on the kingdom of God being available. My phone rang. And the thing that God has called me to in this life... (laughs) To heal, you know, to, to heal and work on the broken. Bad fall, broken collarbone, you know, all kinds of other injuries. Please come to the office, okay? I looked at my notes, closed my Bible, and in my heart of hearts just said, praise him, okay? The kingdom of God is available. That thing that he calls you to, that thing that he wants you to put your hand to, that thing that he flourishes and blesses you in, that thing which receives the grace of God when you're walking in it, that thing is available. And that's where the blessing comes from. Kingdom of heaven, it's available. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is is at hand also refers to timing. At hand at hand. When is it? It's now. It's now. It's now. He was, 
He is, he is to come. Okay, he is right now with special emphasis on the he is. We don't need special training. We don't need pedigrees. We don't need good looks. Thank you, Jesus. Can I take a side note there? This is, this is probably deplorable, but a few years ago, Candy and I were in an airport in L.A. You know, all the pretty people are from L.A., right? I mean, that's what we're told, correct? Isn't that what we're all told? Go to L.A., that's where all the pretty people are. In a real godly fashion, we sat at a Chili's counter facing where everybody went by, and we each had a napkin, okay, and we started making hash marks. Average, average, (laughs) average, 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 average. And just to see, you know, and what we decided was there's about one out of 200 that we would call pretty people. You know, I'm, I'm talking about the outstanding, the unbelievable. You know, those ones that are like, wow, you know, that, that's not normal. Okay. The, yeah. She made me do it. <laughs> Here's the point. Those pretty people are freaks. Everybody's like us, okay? <laughs> we don't need special training, grand pedigrees. We don't have to be the one out of 200. <laughs> I mean, both of our lists had the same. (laughs) I tell you what we need. We need a trainable heart and a transformable spirit. Who wants to be transformed in the likeness of Jesus Christ? Oh, come on. Come on. Who wants to be transformed? Who has been transformed some already? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Who wants more? Yeah. Whatever it is that you put your hand to. I don't care if it's balancing books, if it's driving nails, if it's twisting wires together, if it's singing, if it's painting, I don't know, whatever it is you put your hand to, that thing, that interest, that pursuit, just receive this if you will, that thing is a demonstration of the kingdom of God. And that's the thing that God will use to transform you and our community. It's as close as the end of our hand. It involves our hands. And the timing is right now. And then John concludes the message. Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. You've changed your mind. You have a new understanding. He says, now let's see the goods. How many of you have ever been in religious circles and people say, uh, you know, what's Jesus doing in your life? And you, and you, hear, you hear these little milk toast answers, these real anemic things, you know. Oh, you know, I hope that I'm being a blessing to someone somewhere, sometime, somehow. Uh, you know, and I hope in the by and by that I'll have this little jewel in my crown because I let the old lady in front of me at Walmart, you know. You know, you hear these real milk toast answers, correct? Oh, I, you know, I hope I'm doing something good with my life. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Now, I know something on the literal side about fruit bearing, okay? If I tend our grapes appropriately, 
we can harvest literally now dozens of tons of grapes, of grapes. <laughs> it's grace. If we miss 10 days in the spring of tending our grapes, there's a window of about 10 days. If we neglect our grapes for that 10 days, we're going to lose the whole crop. Thousands of dollars. And there's a possibility we may infect the vine and it die altogether. Here's the point most important to this, though. Fruit is measurable. We don't need to mysticize the idea of bearing fruit. I think the church has done that for a long time. Oh, we hope we're doing good in our community. No, listen, fruit's measurable. At the end of a harvest day, I promise you, we never ever say, oh, I hope that amounted to something. <laughs> Instead, I look to Justin and he goes, 8,750 pounds today. And we go, praise him. Or he goes, 360 gallons of wine. Thank you, Jesus. Fruit's measurable. It's measurable with the grapes and it's measurable in our Christian life. What you do with your change of mind, are you watching me here? What you do with your change of mind matters. It really does matter. You can't come in contact with the Spirit of God and any more stay the same then you can come in contact with a 440 electrical wire and stay exactly where you are, okay? It changes us. It moves us. It jolts us. And let me tell you what matters. Your gratitude to God, it matters. It's your gratitude that ushers in the presence of God. The people that you bless at work, it matters. Your honesty at work, it matters. Which just reminded me of a story. Here we go. It's really, this one's short, okay? <laughs> About the teacher that called the parents to, uh, uh, for a discussion at school, a conference at school. She said, your son Johnny is stealing everybody's pencils. So, I don't know why you do that. I bring him plenty home from work. LAUGHTER <laughs> Man, these old these old stories are coming, are flood, they're flooding back, you guys. <laughs> okay, the, the couple's driving home. The three kids are in the back seat. They're driving home from church. They're driving home from church, and the the dad's going, "Oh, I, I I I can't believe the hat that the organist was wearing." And and the the mother goes, "Oh, that was about the lamest uh, sermon I've ever heard." And one of the other children said, "That was about the worst special music I've ever heard in my life." To which one of the last child said. Not a bad show for a nickel, though. <laughs> okay, your honesty at work matters, okay? Your forthrightness in paying your bills, it matters. The kingdom of heaven is at your hand. The tone of your voice with your spouse it matters. 
the patient teaching of your children in the ways of the Lord, it matters. They're all measurable. They're all measurable. Keep fruit, or, or bear fruit, I'm sorry. Bear fruit in keeping with your repentance. I don't want this to sound like just he's all about works. What I want it to sound like is that it's all about works. Listen, God does his part for us. He does his part. We can't do his part. But we can do our part. Change your mind. Think differently. Look at the whole topic differently. And bear fruit in keeping with that repentance. We could state it this way. If you set a New Year's resolution goal of losing 10 pounds, okay, all you have to do is step on the scale to find out how you're doing. Are you getting the point here? Everything you do in the kingdom of God, it matters and it's measurable. We have a ministry team available this morning. They want to come forward?